You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Well, good morning again. It is, uh, it is good. It's good to be together. It always is, whether we're here in person, online. It's good to be together, worship and study the Word, and that's what we're going to do today. So let me give you a head start. Jump in, as Pastor Mark has already indicated, jump in to 2 Peter chapter 1. You can turn there with me in your Bible. This is actually a continuation of a series we started a few months ago called Steadfast. And when I think of Steadfast, I really do. I think about you. I think about this church. Uh, because this church certainly has been steadfast during this pandemic, during the tensions that we've experienced. You've all been such a blessing. The light of Jesus is really shining through you. You have influenced others. You are leading others through a very, very difficult time. The way that you've done that is just by your lifestyle. The way you've done it is the way that you share with others, the way that you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today I want to thank you for being steadfast. It was so overwhelming for me to to think about that while I was studying and reading this passage of Scripture. Again, I just was thinking, this is Canby Foursquare Church. You have been amazingly steadfast, and I want to continue to encourage you to do that. As I said, for the past few months, we've... uh, We've spent time covering the book of 1 Peter. Today we begin in the book of 2 Peter. And there are a few reasons why I really love 2 Peter. I mean, there are just so many reasons. One of those reasons is 2 Peter is one of those books that flies under the radar. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There are a lot of uh, books that you just know automatically. When you hear verses quoted, you're, you're immediately saying, that's Psalm 23 or that's John 3.16. Well, there are a lot of familiar passages that are recited out of 2 Peter that you don't know quite what the address is. You're you're surprised at times that it is 2 Peter. And uh, I know that's true about 2 Peter. That's just just the nature of 2 Peter. So I think you're going to be surprised with some of the verses that you're going to find here that we're going to unpack together. You're going to find out and say to yourself, you mean that? That's in 2 Peter? Yes, it's in 2 Peter, and I get excited to, to talk about this passage of Scripture with you. But maybe the most important reason for me is this is about what a, a seasoned leader, a pastor says in the last few years of his life. Now, I'm more concerned with that than I used to be 10 years ago. Does that make sense? Because we're all getting a little older. And so I'm paying attention to what seasoned leaders are talking about. Peter was one of those seasoned leaders. Peter was known as a pastor, but he was also an apostle. He was the apostle that stayed home in Jerusalem. Paul was the apostle that was sent out. What you see in the life of Peter and what you hear in his readings is you hear this blend of pastoral leadership and apostolic leadership coming together. I think he's he's a perfect blend of that. But you can't help but hear the fact that Peter is, is pastoring people. Second Peter was one of the last books written in the New Testament, but is also uh, written just before uh, Peter passed away. Uh, if you remember, we've talked about, I think, this before. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified, but because he didn't think himself worthy to die like Jesus, he requested that he be crucified upside down. And that request was granted by the Roman government. So both Peter and his wife, side by side, were crucified upside down. It tells you something about his witness. It tells you something about his humility. 
When I hear stories like that, these are the people that I want to hear from. I want these people to influence my life. And I hope the same is true for you today. Uh, That when you start to go through the book of 2 Peter, you're going to recognize the depth that you find here in this passage, in this book. Uh, These are a few good things for us to remember uh, and keep in mind coming from someone who is writing us knowing that their death is close at hand. Um, I think these are people that I really, really want to pay attention to. We're hearing from the heart of a man who deeply loves Jesus, someone who shepherds God's people with tender truths, and he's not afraid just to say really what's on his heart and his mind. He has nothing to lose, absolutely nothing to lose. So 2 Peter's central theme is really about our growth. And when we start to go through 2 Peter, you're going to find out it's going to challenge you to grow deeper in Jesus Christ. So all through this book, Peter is just telling you, he's prompting you, he's encouraging you to grow closer to Jesus Christ, to develop an intimate relationship with him. And so 2 Peter is a bit different than 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, he was concerned about the dangers from the outside. Remember, we talked about this. He was concerned about the persecution that was coming upon the church and that they were scattered abroad. In fact, he's writing people who were in Cappadocia, those that were spread north into Asia Minor. He was dealing with persecution. He was dealing with oppression from the Roman Empire. So he talks about that in 1 Peter. But when you come to 2 Peter, he's more concerned about what's happening on the inside. He's more concerned with deception and false teaching, especially when those false teachers were communicating things about Jesus Christ that were false, that were not true. And so you can imagine, Peter's very jealous about his relationship with Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ is presented and how the gospel is shared. He's very jealous, so he wants to bring correction to these false teachers. More importantly, he wants to let the church know not to bite into that. Don't drink that Kool-Aid. Uh, Because that's going to cause you to go down a path that you might not get back from. And so he talks about these things. So at the very core of his introduction, it's all about spiritual growth. It's all about us growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to look at 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. We're going to talk about that this morning. It goes like this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In verse 3, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and a good amen at the end of that. Uh, Peter tells us a whole lot right here. Some things that I think are worth are uh, leaning into and understanding. This is one of the best summaries of a believer's growth trajectory that we have in the New Testament. That he's leading us through a growth process just in these 11 verses. After reading this passage, you have to ask a simple question. Are you growing up or are you just growing old? I mean, that's the one that, that really hit me. Am I growing up? Am I, am I abiding by God's word? Am I being inspired by God's Holy Spirit to continue to grow? Growth is the normal part of our life. Wherever there is birth, there is always growth. And that's what Peter is leading us down this path. He's talking to us about, about this kind of growth that a follower of Jesus Christ can experience. If you put it in the natural terms, and Peter will refer to different terms and using different metaphors. In fact, in those 11 verses, I, I think he uses three or four different kinds of metaphors. That's what makes him rich and exciting to read. But when we have children or grandchildren, what do we do? We willingly put up with their messes and their noise. I mean, we put up with that because what we're trying to do, for the most part, is create a safe, fun place for them to grow up. Now, many of you have been in our home, and so when you've come to our house, we have prepared for you. We, we have a nice, clean home. It looks neat. It looks clean. It looks nice. I'm here to tell you that's a fake. Uh, that, that's a fraud because that's not usually what our home looks like. We have a lot of messes in our house that go on every single day. And, and, and here, here, here you see it. This is our home. It's not neat. It's not clean. You can show those, George, if you would. It's, it's, it's got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, these are just recent pictures. My grandkids tear my bedroom, my living room. They, they make forts everywhere. Uh, wherever we get together, they're throwing things around, having fun. Annette pulls out things in the kitchen, pulls out things in the living room. They know that that's their domain. When they're there, they kind of rule the roost. So it's not a neat, quiet place. It is a noisy, messy place where these grandkids grow up. And our goal is really this. When we provide a place like that, our goal is that these little ones, these young children, both our children and our grandchildren, that they grow to maturity, that they grow to be good adults. That's really what we're wanting. Even more, we want them to be followers, mature followers of Jesus Christ. So when you see this mess, when you hear the noise that goes on in our house, that is really a purpose. We want them to grow up and be like Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is we just have a lot of fun together. We mark their growth. You mark the growth progress in your own life. Uh, we do that through, through birthdays. In fact, my, my oldest grandchild just turned 14 last week. And uh, her name's Ella. And she found a lot of different ways to celebrate her birthday. She planned her birthday to last eight days. 
she had something happening every single day. She was turning 14 years old. She wanted everyone to know, and she wanted to celebrate, and boy, did she ever. You know, when we moved from the house we used to live in to the house we live in now, we, we took some things with us, but one of the things that, that we brought into our new house that probably means the most to me, it's my favorite piece of furniture, and it's how we measured the growth of our kids. We, we, we did it on the back of a door. Maybe you do that. That's how you measure growth. You put it on the back of a door. And so we asked the people who bought our home, Could we, can we take this door with us? This is invaluable. We'd like to just take the door and bring it into our house. We'll replace it, but we want to take the door. And they said, yeah, you guys can do that. It really didn't mean anything to them, but it meant the world to us. Uh, these are the growth marks. These are the places we celebrated the physical growth of our kids. And so their kids now go out into the area where this, this door is, and they look at it, and they talk about their dad or their mom and how they've grown up. And we've done the same thing for our grandkids. We've marked their growth as well. We have it in their little, little area, their little playroom. And so they go in there, and they get measured. How tall are they? How much are they growing? They talk about that growth. And growth is really, a lot of times when you're doing something like this, is the central theme of conversation. Take that thought and apply it to Second Peter. Peter is actually putting a growth chart up here for us, and he's saying, now get excited about your spiritual growth in Jesus Christ. And, and if you're not growing, we're going to teach you, we're going to show you ways that you, that you can grow. And I love that. Growth is exciting. We're seeing that in our lives. Following Jesus begins the same way it begins with birth. Jesus said this, remember talking to Nicodemus, he said, unless you be born again, you cannot experience this eternal life, this spiritual life. And it continues with growth, with development, with maturity. The New Testament writers have a lot of different metaphors to describe the growth process in the Bible. Uh, there's athletic metaphors, there's military metaphors, there's construction metaphors. Remember the metaphor Jesus used in Matthew chapter 7 was about construction. A wise man or woman builds their house on a rock. A foolish one builds their house on a storm or on a sand. When the storm comes, it washes the, the house on the sand away. He uses those the metaphors. And here in this passage, as I said earlier, Peter switches back and forth. You got to just almost keep up with him because he's using different metaphors to really drive home this growth process of following Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to just stick with a construction metaphor. Can I do that? Because he talks about a lot of them, but a construction one works because that's something I'm familiar with. I come from a long line of construction workers, so, so we're going to use building language. Specifically, this is titled, How to Build a Faith That Lasts. And that's really Peter's purpose here through the Holy Spirit and communicating it to us, is he's saying here are some fundamental things that you need to know to weather a storm when difficult times come. This is how your faith can last. This is how you can grow. And, and what we need to do is keep two things in mind, two overarching thoughts in mind when we're diving into Second Peter. One is this. Your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your physical growth or physical age. Uh, you can be older and spiritually young. You can be younger and be spiritually older. 
And then there's another thing that I want you to keep in mind is that you can grow spiritually as much as you want to grow. God hasn't put a cap on that. He hasn't put a moratorium on your spiritual growth. What he's saying here, and really Peter invites us this way, he says, hey, come on, grow. Just keep growing. You can grow as much as you want. There's no, there's no lid to this. There's no ceiling to this. Keep growing in Jesus Christ. So when we looked at verses 1 and 2, Peter was telling us that to build a faith that lasts, we must use what God has provided for us. He's letting us know that everything we need for life and godliness, remember that's, that's actually one of those familiar passages you wondered, where did that come from? Second Peter. He's given us everything. He's provided for us everything for life and godliness. So God has made a way for us. Once you have the faith that he gives you, he uses the phrase, obtain like precious faith. He says once you have that, and then in verses 3 through 11, Peter tells us that we must grow in this precious faith. So here's how Peter tells us to to build a faith that lasts. And if you're taking notes, you go ahead and write this down. If you're online, we provided the outline for you. You can go right there, click onto the link. You can follow us there. But the first thing is have the right investor. Anyone who's building needs to know they have to have money to build. They have to have the right investor. Most of us go to a bank and the bank invests. But we need to have the right investor. And and, and Peter says that in verses 3 and 4. He says his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, that you may participate in your growth process, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You need somebody who will bankroll the project, and when we have an investor, and in this case, God's the investor, this is something that we have no limit to. God's access to resource is eternal. He is the one who gives the gift of salvation. He's given you that gift. And there are two important things that his salvation gives us. Number one, God has the power and God has the promises. Just remember that. Repeat that. God has the power and God has the promises. That's what verse 3 tells us in this passage. So when we're tapping into this divine power, what we need to be aware of is how amazing and how eternal and how grand it is. Because the power that we're tapping into is the power that created the universe. It's the power, the same power that sustains the universe. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power that brings healing to our physical body and our spiritual body. It is that same power. And Peter is saying you have access to that divine power through the power of God's Holy Spirit alive in you. That's been given you. You have that power. You can grow and you can overcome. Why? Because you have access to God's power. Listen, what God expects you to attempt... He also enables you to achieve by his Holy Spirit. So if God is saying, this is what I want you to go after, this is what I want you to attempt, this is is the direction I want you to go, you can be sure that God will always, he will always provide his power to help you achieve that. Can you say amen to that? 
And I think that's important today because sometimes we do feel alone, don't we? We feel a bit isolated. We're wondering, are we doing this on our own? Uh, is this something that's just happening in my own world right now? And what God wants to remind all of us is, no, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have his divine power working in our lives. And so he says, access that so that you can grow. And then, and then there are God's promises. He speaks of those in verse 4 here. So the money in the bank, that's power. The check written is the promise. How many know that when a check is written, it's just a notary? It's just, you, the, the thing that a check does is it, when you write it, you have to believe in the person writing it, that the person writing it has the coin in the bank to actually follow through. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying he has the power. He has every resource that you need. He has promised those to you. He's written a check to you so that you can live this kind of life. A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. So God has promised that we can escape from our old life into a new life, a new direction. The Bible says the old is gone. The Apostle Paul said the old is gone and the new has come in Christ Jesus. You've been given that promise. So how do I apply that every day? Well, the way that I can apply that every day is when my old life, my old nature wants to speak up. In fact, a lot of times shout at me to do something I used to do, which was the old nature. The Bible says here we don't have to go that way. We're not obligated to go that way. That we can choose life, new life, a new direction that he's given us through his life. Through his godliness, we can escape. His promises are great. And we need to know that. His promises are great. And I want to hear that, especially through the difficult times that we faced over these last several months. I just want to keep hearing over and over how great the promises of God are. uh, Because it it just seems like there aren't a lot of promises out there that are bringing us hope. God is the only one that can bring us promises that truly allow us to hope. How many know this? I mean, to really hope in the promises of God, it takes, it takes another attribute, another attribute of yours, and that is courage. How many know it takes courage to hope? It, it doesn't take anything to be hopeless. It's hard, it's difficult, but it takes courage to hope, to say, God, I'm going to have the courage to hope in your promises. I'm going to have the courage to hope in you and what you've said to me. I want to go there. I want to hope. I want to have that courage. God leads us through his power and his promises, leads us to a great life. The second thing here is building a life of faith that lasts also involves following the building code. When we built this building, when you maybe have built a house, uh, you're going to have somebody somewhere along the line come and talk to you about the building codes. Hopefully it's not too late. Hopefully it happens before then later. But someone's going to talk to you about building codes. Well, God does the same thing for us in verses 5 through 7. It says, And for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. I love that. Add to your faith goodness. Goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. Mutual affection, love. Can you see what he's instructing us to do? He's given us the power. He's given us the promise. And he's saying, now, with that, here is what you can build in your life. This is how you can, you can emotionally and spiritually grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I love this. <clears throat> I love what it says here. He's talking, Peter is now talking about our part. 
He's saying, you need to do this. You need to be focused. It seems a little bit like a paradox. How can I add anything to the one who has everything? How does that work? Well, this requires really two things from us. One is cooperation. Uh, God, God wants us to submit to him. He wants us to cooperate with his plan. And I, I see more trouble in my life. I see more trouble in people's lives when they just dig in their heels and they choose not to cooperate with God's plan because they somehow think they've got a better plan. Maybe you've been there before. And honestly, my plan falls really, really short of the plan that God has for me and the plan that God has for you. So it takes cooperation. I want you to look at that little word in the NIV, a phrase actually. It says, make every effort to add to your faith. Um, another way that it's put is giving all diligence. There's something interesting just about those few words. I want you to know that this is not... This term is, is not, it's not an adjective, it's not an adverb. In fact, this term to add to is a noun. And in the Greek, it actually represents a person. And it comes from the theater. The one that's directing everything is the one adding to and putting pieces in place, like putting together a production or a song or a putting together a chorus with a choir. This is, this is a person in the Greek. And when I read this, I thought, oh, well, that's what Jesus does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is encouraging us every day. He's saying, here, let me give you some direction on how to add to your faith, how to build a faith that lasts. And then it goes through this list. Uh, it, it says, here, we want you to grow Peter's saying, I want you to grow. That spiritual growth is never, write this one down if you want to write anything down, spiritual growth is never accidental. Never accidental. It's always intentional. You just don't fall backward into spiritual growth. You're intentionally moving forward one step at a time. You're moving forward. That's how we grow I said there are, there are two words here that really help us understand this. One is cooperation. Well, this also requires something else, and that's supplementation. And that's really what we've heard here, that God gives us the power and the promises by his Holy Spirit to grow in us through the work of his Holy Spirit to grow in us virtue. Another translation is goodness. What does that mean? It means um, a more excellent way. That's what he's talking about, that through the divine power that we've been given through the promises that we've been given, there is a more excellent way than the way of the world. He's letting us know that this is the way, virtue, godly virtue. Then he uses the word knowledge. Right there he's saying, you know what? You can become an expert, not perfect, but you can grow to be an expert in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Remember I said earlier there's no capacity to, for growth here? We can grow as much as we want to grow. And so Peter adds and he says, you can become an expert at that relationship you have with Jesus Christ. That's a lifelong venture. Uh, I've been around um, elite athletes and I've watched uh, elite athletes, not only the way they train, but the way they think is so much different than oftentimes the way I think or live my life. That, that they're, they're pursuing a goal they're constantly pursuing a goal. That the goal is always in front of them. Whatever their discipline might be. 
It's always in front of them. And that goes with the word knowledge. And then attached is the word self-control. See that? That's actually an athletic metaphor. That's where, Paul, uh, where Peter is saying, hey, like an athlete, keep in front of you your goal. Make sure you remember your goal. Perseverance. Perseverance means you got to carry the weight. See, a lot of times this is where we might beg out because the weight gets a little heavy and we say, hey, I just, I can't handle the weight. I just want to exit stage left. But listen, the more you lift weights, the more you can carry weight. And this is the picture that Peter is giving us. He's saying, come under and carry the weight. Get strong in carrying the weight, the testimony of Jesus Christ in your life. And then there's godliness. That means being right with God. And then brotherly kindness. The word here is the word Philadelphia, which is brotherly kindness. That's exactly what it means. The word love here is the highest form of love. It's the word agape. It's a sacrificial love. That when you're working through this, when you get strong, we're going to know you're strong because you sacrificially live your life for others. That's how we know. This is how we know that you are, are, are growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there's a third thing. Uh, next is to build with the future in mind. To have a faith that lasts, you always have to build with the future in mind. I think when we put together plans of, of homes or floor plans or, or site plans, it, it isn't realized yet, but when you put those plans up there, what are you doing? You're putting all that up there because you, you, you know in the future this is going to be realized. So you build you build with a future in mind. Verses 8 through 10. Peter says this, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted. They're blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never, ever stumble. So this is about the continued growth. This is not about plateauing. That, that, that what Peter is encouraging us here is, is not to plateau in this relationship with Jesus. He's talking to us about continuing to grow. In verse 8, it says to abound or uh, Another phrase is increasing measure. This means that you have so much that you overflow. That you're not just living your life for you, just so that you get filled. You're not coming to church on Sunday morning. You're not just studying the Bible for your own personal reasons, which are all probably pretty good. But what you're doing is you're doing this so that your life overflows and influences and affects others. And this is probably where we might get hung up. Because when we talk in terms of devotion, when we talk in terms of studying the Bible, it's usually directly connected, first and foremost, to our own spiritual growth, which I understand. But what's happening here is Peter is challenging us further than that. He's saying, don't make this just about your own spiritual growth, friends. Make this about others so that your life overflows and that your life influences others. And God knows we need people overflowing today. Because I know there are times and there are days that when I get to 5 o'clock, I'm wondering, did I just barely get through the day? You know what I'm saying there? Man, I'm, I'm wondering, did I just barely get through? 
Peter's saying, hey, you don't not only have to be filled, you can, you can overflow increasing measure that you can continue to grow and be productive. It says unproductive here is literally, it literally means something that has stopped working. Something that has stopped growth. There's no more work. There's no more growth. It's just stopped. And now's probably, maybe this season right now, is a time to take that kind of inventory. Lord, where am I in my relationship with you? Am I, am I unproductive? Am I ineffective in certain areas of my walk with you? I, I want to be aware of that because Peter's encouraging me to continue to grow that I need to bear fruit. I know there are seasons where there are times where we are pruned, but that's so that we can continue to grow. Listen, fruitfulness is a life that constantly blesses others. That's really the bottom line definition of what Jesus means and and the apostles mean when they talk about a fruitful life. And there are three kinds of faith. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I don't know if this has ever come to your mind. There is a faulty faith or a fake faith. That's what Peter's addressing here. He's wanting you to know the difference between a fake faith and a real faith. He's, he's raising that up to you. He's saying, here, this is, this is a real faith so that you'll know what's fa- fault, faulty, what doesn't work. So there's a fake faith. There's a firm faith. It's a genuine faith, a saving faith that we have in Jesus Christ. But then there's that flowing faith. This is where we do influence others to follow Jesus Christ. And what we're picking up here is a, a growing believer in Jesus Christ is steadfast is firm in their relationship with him. And that's, again, why we've chosen that word, steadfast. It communicates so much to what we need in our own life today and what the world needs from the body of Christ to be steadfast. And then the last thing, I'm going to close with this. It says here, uh, Peter says, plan to move on. If you want to have a faith that really lasts, plan to move on. That where you are is not going to be forever. Where you are is temporary. He says as much in verse 11. He says, And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying, Lift up your eyes. Take your eyes and lift them up and know that you're going to be moving on someday. Maybe it feels like you're stuck in this life right now and the difficulties you face right now. It feels like it's permanent. But Peter comes along and everything he writes to the believers of his day and says, Hey, it's not permanent. This too will pass. Your suffering too will go away. The pain will, they will leave. And so here he says, plan to make sure that you move on. All that we're building now is for the next place that we're going to be. Everything you're building now certainly has relevance today. It has application today. It has power today. But it has eternity in mind. Build now with a move in mind. So the term rich welcome, I love this. And I'm going to wrap it up with this because this is how we need to finish today. It's a really good way to finish this message. That, That phrase there, a rich welcome. What has Peter done now? He's flipped back into an athletic metaphor. So he keeps moving back and forth with these different metaphors. Kind of fun to read, actually. But he's flipping back here and he's using a phrase, rich welcome. And that is something that has to do with an elite athlete who is in the Olympics. Let's say the Olympics. 
and they're, they're, what are they trying to go for? What are they wanting to achieve? They want to stand in, in, in front of everyone else and receive a medal, don't they? We, we see that. Gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal. Their focus is, I want to receive the prize. The Apostle Paul tells us, keep pressing towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is where Peter and Paul say almost the same thing. The rich welcome. But this even goes deeper than just the prize of an Olympic athlete. I love this. This goes much deeper than that. Because what the athlete really wanted was not just the gold or the medal, winning the gold or the medal of that event. They were wanting to be acknowledged when they got home. You see, the real party for a real athlete wasn't there with all the other nations and all the other athletes and all the other people. The real party came when he went and celebrated with his own people. When he went back into the people that he grew up with, the people that helped train him, the people that gave so much and sacrificed for him. This is, what, this is exactly what Peter is saying. There's a rich welcome for you in heaven. You're going to go be with people that have invested in your life. The Apostle Paul says, are you not my reward? Are you not the reward that I'm striving for that I'm working for when I get to heaven you are my crown and joy that's what Peter's saying here he's saying man when we all get together and we're all family this is where we really celebrate this is where the real celebration happens when we were in Kenya we were connected to I think three counties close by each other and every one of those counties had produced an Olympic athlete Every one, and some multiple athletes. Uh, one of the counties was where Kip Kano, people my, my generation know, the long-distance runner Kip Kano. There's other, all the, a lot of these long-distance runners come from that tri-county area, and every one of those counties, when you would drive into it, had a, a big welcome, and it always said something about a champion. The county of champions the home of champions. You're in this championship county. It all dealt with champions. And so these athletes look forward not to just get the medal that was given to them after the event. They looked forward. They anticipated going and being with their people. When Annette and I went to um, Kenya, they had a ceremony, and um, they actually honored us with, with this. It's, it's an empty empty gourd. So this doesn't cost nearly as much as the gold that you would win in an Olympic, uh, uh, Olympic event or the, or the silver or the bronze. Relatively cheap. Highly, highly prized. So a Kip Kano would get the gold medal in the Olympic, in the Olympic events, but then he would come home and his people would celebrate him by giving him this gourd and, and they would fill this gourd with a, uh, a fermented yogurt. This was the prize. This was the rich welcome that the champion received when they actually came home. When I was given this, they, someone leaned over and said, I don't know if you know how important this is. And I, I didn't. And they said, this is so highly prized, you might want to go put it back in your room. I thought, oh my goodness. And so I took off from the meeting we were in and I headed to my room 
And before I knew it, I had 15, 20, 30 kids following me because they wanted to touch this. This was a prized item for them. When you get to heaven that day, whenever that might be, you're going to be welcomed by Jesus Christ, but you're going to be welcomed into a family, into a people that you belong to. You're no longer a stranger, but now you're at home. Would you bow your head with me? Father, what we do right now is we know in heaven you will be there and you will receive us with great celebration. You will never regret, we will never regret the hours that we spent doing the Lord's work. That we would anticipate, look forward to our glorious entrance into heaven because of you. Lord, I just thank you for inspiring us today, causing us to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you continue to do that? as we just crack open this wonderful, wonderful epistle and we just open the the doors of heaven and of our own hearts and we receive from what you want to give us. We do that with great anticipation and and, and a great desire to to know you in our life. Thank you for all those that are here today, those that are online in the patio, those around the world. We just ask a blessing be ours. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.